0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I am one week early, but as we have a text that speaks to freedom, well, we're in the vicinity of July the 4th, so I cannot help but take notice. For freedom is what we celebrate on the 4th of July, is it not? Freedom from those tyrannical Brits or any other government that would constrain us. Freedom from despots and tyrants and kings telling us how to live. The freedom to positively speak and worship and pursue happiness in the fashion that we are compelled to. Yes, freedom indeed is a wonderful thing, something that people have fought and died and sacrificed for. But Christians always have this filter that we run everything through, and we would certainly run a concept like freedom through that same filter as well. Yes, freedom may indeed be a wonderful organizing principle when creating a social contract. Indeed, I can hardly think of a better organizing principle to strive for when forming a government of and for and by the people. If a government did nothing else than protect the innate freedoms of her citizens, then that government could certainly justify its own authority. We could maybe build our own roads, you know, or fight wars, you know, when we needed to with, a, with an army we fashioned together. But without the protection of freedom, a nation can hardly be worthy of being called a nation at all. For Christians, though, freedom is the means to the end. It's not the end in and of itself. We seek to use freedom for a higher and a nobler and a better work. The work of fully practicing our faith without constraint. You see, we only want to use our freedom to honor God. Freedom itself is not God or a God, though we can certainly idolize it often in our politics. Freedom, of course, can be used to do good or to do evil. It is simply the state of affairs by which we are able to truly and fully be Christian without fear of recrimination or isolation or even death itself. Well, so how is the Christian then to utilize his or her freedom? Well, as it happens, St. Paul offers us an answer in Galatians, the fifth chapter. He writes there, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Well, first, what Paul seems to be saying is that Christ wants us to be free. But free from what? For as Paul was writing, they were all under imperial rule. They certainly didn't have the kinds of political freedoms that we have. Well, all of Galatians really is about freedom from the law of God. That is the ceremonial law of God. The whole debate in Galatians is around circumcision, but Paul uses that as a vehicle to talk about the ceremonial aspects of the law in whole. Things like animal sacrifices or ceremonial washings. Yes, because Christ is the sacrifice once for all. Christians are no longer bound to the ceremonial law that deals with sacrifice. And Paul feels so strongly about this this freedom that he accuses those who are coming into the Christian church in Galatia and trying to encourage uh, the men to get circumcised, that is to pull them back into the ceremonial law that they would sort of left when they left Judaism. He accuses those of doing that recruiting of bewitching Christians and betraying the gospel itself. Jesus died that we would be free from condemnation. Free from shame, free from guilt, and even free from relating to God via this ceremony. Yes, you see, you are even free not to worship. That would have been good to know about 7.30 this morning, right? For now, our ceremonies are times that we gather to celebrate what God has done for us to receive God through word and sacrament, these are not necessary obligations to God. So Christians are free. Christians are free from sin, free from ceremony, free from coercion, free from religious manipulation. We do not do what we do for God because we have to, but because we want to. And it is meaningful precisely because we are free to do otherwise. This freedom is so important that Paul says the opposite of it is slavery. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, that is to go back into the yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. Well, shucks, I I knew this all sounded too good to be true. Just when you think that you're really free, Paul goes on to say that we are, in fact, slaves of one another. So, what do we do with our freedom? well it is surely not everything we could ever desire but rather as lord acton famously said we use liberty to do what we ought there was never some kind of golden age of america where each and every american knew that freedom actually meant love towards their neighbor maybe a majority at one point in our past there have always been men in our own history who asserted their will over others in the name of freedom, who stole from others, who enslaved others, and hurt others. And sometimes just what the limits of freedom are really is not always very clear. We have the really the practice of law in many respects is figuring out exactly what the boundaries of freedom are before we encroach on someone else's freedom. For example, does a coach have the freedom to pray at the beginning or end of a football game if that might offend other players? Or is a person free to, say, withhold medicine from a child on religious grounds if that means the child may die? Complicated questions. But macro freedom, you know, big picture freedom, the freedom to pursue happiness, the freedom to uh, follow our dreams, it's not absolute for the Christian. We can't do whatever we want. And Paul issues a warning to those who might want to use their freedom for all the wrong reasons, a warning that I would say has largely been forgotten, but hopefully can be reclaimed. He says, if, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, indeed, we have done exactly what Paul predicted. Instead of using our freedom to always advance the cause and gospel of Christ and to advance the cause of our neighbor... We have used our freedom to glorify ourselves and to pursue vice. To a person? Well, of course not. Many Christians have sought to follow Christ in every area of life. But the trends are not looking good, especially if I pay any attention at all to popular culture, which is what all the young people are into these days. So we are free to pursue the good. And if we use our freedom even to do good things, normal things, like have a job or buy a house or have children, we still do not think of only what we will benefit by such acts. So even the mundane normal things of life that you might think, well, that's just something I do. It has nothing to do with God or religion or virtue or anything like that. No, even those things are imbued with this call to do the good. For example, how do you serve your neighbor in your job? How will I provide for my children? How can I use a home to be a a place of safe refuge for my, my family or my neighbors? Free, yes, but for what purpose? Paul says, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So then, the constraints of freedom could not be made more clear by Paul. Very simple. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. So you could say, then, that filter that I mentioned earlier, right? Christians apply a filter to a concept like freedom. We don't just accept it as an absolute, right? You could say that that filter is the spirit of God himself, The Spirit is the the filter that the Christian possesses to not follow the lusts of the flesh, even if they have the political and, and economic and social freedom to do so. Paul goes on to create a vice list. A vice lists were common in ancient letters. They were in most ancient letters. They're in several of Paul's letters. And he describes the actions of those who reject the Spirit and follow the flesh fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. That word factions is sometimes translated uh, party spirit. I always thought it meant having a good time. But uh, party means like you're, you, you attach yourself too much to one side or the other. That's why it's translated here as factions. But really, if you, you know, kind of think about that list, it pretty much sounds like hell on earth, right? But the spirit produces fruit, famous nine fruits that we may be at least familiar if not committed to memory. No way I'm going to try to say it from memory from up here. But you should know these fruits well love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. You see, the thing is, we either regulate ourselves or someone else will do it for us. And it won't be pretty. So while we may not be bound to the law in some kind of absolute sense, that is, ceremonial laws that God requires, and we're certainly not saved by our moral obedience, I wouldn't say that, we do use our freedom to pursue the good. And if we do not, then we will make a mess of our world, and we will invite a tyrant I think we are certainly at a tipping point now. There are many tyrannical forces in the world today, both in the public and in the private sphere, and they would love nothing more than to tell us all how we ought to live. And if we continue to reject Christ and pursue vice, then we will be too dumb and too enslaved and too poor to resist those tyrants when that tipping point comes. Christ has made us free to pursue virtue. And a virtuous people is a strong people, a people worthy of freedom itself. So the question before us is, for what will we use our freedom? Is it for the freedom of the flesh or the freedom of the spirit? That decision will, as it always has been before, shape our destiny in the decades to come. Amen.